And I just want to say I commend you for being here on a Wednesday night. I know it takes a little extra sacrifice and a little bit extra willpower to get yourself here. Many of you have been working since early this morning. And so I just want to say how much I commend you and appreciate you for being faithful to the Lord's house tonight. I was listening to some preaching today, and the preacher said there are three things we need to do uh, to be a part of a local church. He said we need to come number one. And you came tonight. And so I want to commend you for that. Thank you for coming. He said, we need to come, we need to connect and we need to contribute. And I hope that you'll do those three things here at Calvary Baptist Church. I I just want to say this, uh, you're blessed to be a part of Calvary Baptist Church. This is a great church. It's an exciting church. It's a happening place where God's doing great things. People are being saved. And man, we just uh, rejoice in all that the Lord is doing here at Calvary Baptist Church. I did want to tell you, I went by today and saw Miss Odessa Campbell in the hospital, uh, mom and dad being out of town. I, I just went down and wanted to see her. And, and I want you to continue praying. For those of you who didn't hear, probably most of you have already heard, uh, but, but for those of you who didn't hear, Miss Odessa fell uh, the other day and she broke her hip. And so she's been down at uh, Ireland Memorial Hospital for the past few days, had surgery, and she's doing, uh, doing better, but there's going to be a long recovery process over the next few months. And so I went and saw her today and she's doing wonderful, uh, doing a lot better. And uh, they actually, we're going to be sending her home today. And so y'all pray for Miss Odessa Campbell as she recovers uh, from breaking her hip. I also wanted to give you an update. Last week when we had the Q&A, uh, I asked you guys to pray about our house and we had told you about the house we found there in Simpsonville that's right there beside the church. And uh, we went ahead and applied for that. And we've been waiting on pins and needles. And to be honest, we still haven't heard back. But I called today just to try to get an update. And they said we've unofficially been approved. I don't know what, exactly what that means. Uh, but uh, that we should be receiving an email over the next uh, 24 hours confirming that. And so y'all keep praying about that. And the uh, Lord willing, we'll get that uh, house nailed down, and then we're planning to move down to Simpsonville on Saturday. So y'all just continue to pray for our family. And I want to say how much I appreciate you letting us stay uh, down here at the Speech Life Center and your missions apartment. And man, it's a beautiful place. It's been such a great blessing to our family. And I know you guys invested so much time and money and effort into that place, and it's already been a huge blessing to us. And I know it's going to be a huge blessing to other folks as they make their way uh, through Union Grove. And so thank you so much for, for that. Uh, how many of you believe we need Wednesday night church? Amen. We, we need it. Uh, we may not think we need it, but, but we do need it. We need the word of God. Take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter four. I don't know if you heard about that couple uh, in the church. They came to their pastor and they said, pastor, we're gonna get married and we wondered, wondered if you would marry us, if you would perform the ceremony. And he said, yeah, I'd love to do that. He said, there's only one stipulation. Uh, I require uh, anybody that I'm gonna officiate their wedding, I require that they do premarital counseling. And so before you guys get married, I would want to do some premarital counseling with you. And they said, oh, we don't need premarital counseling. We've already been married four times. So uh, there's a, some of you didn't, didn't get that yet, but there's a lot of people who think they don't need church, but they do need church. That's the point of the story there. And uh, I want to thank you for being faithful uh, to church. How many believe we need church tonight? Amen. We need the Lord. We need the word of God. And so I'm proud of you for being here tonight. And uh, I want you to take your Bibles and look at Hebrews chapter 3. And look down, if you would, at verse number 12. Let's stand out of respect for the reading of the word of God this evening. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 12. I want to bring a message to you tonight entitled, The Danger of Departing. The Danger of Departing. Hebrews 3, verse number 12. This is the word of the Lord. Take heed, brethren, 
lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Take note of verse number 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Watch this. In departing from the living God. I want to preach to you for a few moments tonight on the danger of departing. You can be seated. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege to be in your house. It's a joy to be with your people. Lord, we thank you for the local church. Lord, I thank you specifically for Calvary Baptist Church. This is a special church and a special place. And special people, and we thank you so much for them and the impact that they've had on my life. And Lord, we just want to give you praise and glory for what you're doing here at Calvary. Now, Lord, as we take a few minutes to open up your word tonight, I pray you would speak uh, to our hearts this evening, open our hearts to receive the word. Lord, I pray that as the word of God is preached tonight, that we'll receive it, that we'll hear it as if it was the last opportunity we may have to hear the word of God preached. Lord, we believe that you're coming and your return is soon. And so I pray that we would take heed uh, in this moment, that we would hear your word as you speak to us through your word. Help me, I pray. Fill me with your spirit. Fill these people with your spirit as we approach the word of God tonight. And I pray you would do a mighty, lasting work in our hearts. May you receive the honor, the praise, and the glory for you alone are worthy. And we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the author of Hebrews is deeply concerned about this congregation of Hebrews to which he is writing. In fact, the reason for this concern that he has is that they had drifted in their emphasis on the gospel. Sadly, tragically, you study the context of this epistle, the, the, the finished work of Jesus Christ had taken a back seat in the hearts and minds of these believers. And sadly, they had begun to exalt other important but inferior things, such as angels or Moses or the law. G. Campbell Morgan, who was a prolific author, a pastor, and evangelist in the 19th century, reminds us that the book of Hebrews was written to show the separation of Christ from all others. Now, I don't know if you've heard this before, but many have said that the theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. If we ever come to our place in our lives where Jesus Christ has become secondary, listen, there is a valid reason for us to be concerned. And I want to challenge you tonight that we all need to be very careful that we don't allow other people or other things, and by the way, good people or good things begin to take the place of the one who deserves the preeminence in our lives, and that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here tonight and you examine your heart and life and Jesus Christ doesn't currently have first place in your life, the writer of Hebrews has a cautionary word for you this evening and it's found in verse number 12. Look back if you would, Hebrews 3 and verse number 12 where we see those two words, take heed. I'm gonna put the, the definition of these words on the screen. It's actually one Greek word that literally means beware. A Strong's concordance said that it means to perceive by the use of the eyes. 
So the writer here is seeing their emphasis. He's looking into the congregation of the Hebrew people and seeing them exalt things like angels and seeing them exalt things like Moses and seeing them exalt things like the law and in essence belittle the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, to you who have begun to belittle Christ, the work of the finished work of Christ, I, I want to extend a warning to you. G. Campbell Morgan called Hebrews 3 a passage of warning and exhortation. To warn someone is to inform them in advance of an impending or possible danger. Warren Wiersbe said this, it is important that we take heed and recognize the spiritual dangers that exist. I wonder, do you recognize tonight on this Wednesday night that there are spiritual dangers that exist? And maybe we could go to the next question and say, what are you doing to avoid those spiritual dangers? The apostle Paul challenged the believers in Ephesus when he said this, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. As you saw that picture I just put on the screen there, uh, we just, as many of you know, we just got through making our journey from Southern California over here to North Carolina, and we took the, the long way around. We did the arc across the United States, and so we went up to Monterey, California, and then began to work our way over the United States, and uh, we went to Yellowstone National Park there in, in uh, Wyoming, and, and man, just had a, a wonderful time, and we spent the day at Yellowstone National Park. Anybody ever been there before, man? Uh, I highly recommend recommended. It's amazing. We saw uh, buffalo and we saw all kind of wildlife. It was just an amazing, amazing trip there in Yellowstone. We spent most of the day in Yellowstone and we planned to go to Mount Rushmore National Monument the next day. And so I told my wife, I said, I tell you what, we're just going to drive through the night. And we're going to drive from Wyoming to South Dakota, and uh, I'll let you and the kids just uh, go to sleep, and I'll drive through the night, no problem. And so we made our way, and uh, I, as I began to get into South Dakota, as we got out of the mountains of, of uh, Wyoming and began to get down into the plains of South Dakota, we began to see some signs just like this. And if you've ever been out there, you know, man, they have these fields that just go on and on and on. And, and uh, we're driving our car out through there, and I'm the only one that's awake, and my wife and kids are all asleep, and it's beginning to get dark. And they have these signs that have these lights that are flashing on them saying, warning, uh, increased warning risk when these lights are flashing. And they wanted to let us know that there is an impending danger, that there are deer that are going to be crossing the, the interstate. And I'm going to tell you what. I found myself, as we're driving down through there, my lights begin to shine, and I begin to see glowing eyeballs on the side of the interstate as we're driving down through there. And I'm going to tell you what it did. It enhanced my awareness. I begin to focus my eyes and try to look for those impending danger. And when Paul tells the Ephesians, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, he's saying, hey, I don't want you to fall into the trap of coasting through the Christian life. And in essence... That's exactly what we see happening here in Hebrews chapter three. This is what the writer is saying. Watch this. He's saying, be well aware that there are significant dangers that are present. And if we're not careful to avoid those dangers, they could affect our spiritual well-being. And so in order to explain the potential dangers and to articulate the warning, the writer of Hebrews takes these believers on a journey beginning with the moment of their salvation and then proceeding on from there. He wants them to consider the potential threats along the way. 
in essence, if you will, the book of Hebrews here in Hebrews chapter number three, we see some warning lights telling us to be very well aware of some spiritual dangers. I want you to notice number one, please, if you would, the beginning of our confidence. Uh, the, The beginning of our confidence in verse number 14. Now, what you need to know about the book of Hebrews, and Brother Horn addressed this a little bit two Sundays ago, but there's been a, a, a hot debate in the book of Hebrews. Is it addressed to believers or is it addressed to unbelievers? And I'm gonna give you a couple reasons why I personally believe that the book of Hebrews is addressed to believers. Look at verse number 12, if you would, and notice what he says here. He says, take heed, what's the next word? Brethren, take heed, brethren. And then notice in verse number 13, he says, but exhort one another daily. This indicates that these were people who were a part of the family of God. They were a part of the church of God. And it seems that in this text, the writer of Hebrews wants to take them back on a journey, on a trip down memory lane, as it were, back to day one of the journey uh, of their, uh, of, of day one of their journey with Jesus. By the way, I have a question. Do you remember that day? Right now in your mind, I want you to think back to the day when you began your journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you remember the joy that came over your heart that day when you realized that you had been forgiven of your sins? Listen, do you remember the joy of your salvation the day you got saved when you realized that God had adopted you, a hell-bound sinner, into his family, that you had been given eternal life through Jesus Christ? Do you remember that day? Well, he noticed in verse number 14, he calls that moment the beginning of our confidence. And notice he uses the word our. He's including himself here. He says, think back to the day of the beginning of our confidence, if you will. The the first day when you began trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your salvation. In fact, I looked up the word confidence and it literally means a setting under. It refers to a foundation upon which a structure is built. And so Paul is taking them back in their life to the day when they built their life, if you will, upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. I wonder, what is the foundation of your life on this Wednesday night? There are people in our world today who have decided to build their life, their faith, if you will, upon a foundation of good works or a foundation of religion or a foundation of baptism or a foundation of good works or church membership. But let me echo the Apostle Paul who said in 1 Corinthians 3.11, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You cannot build your life upon any other foundation. Are y'all listening to me tonight? You cannot build your life upon a foundation of church membership or baptism or good works. You must build your life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you have ever uh, seen, let me, let me move forward just a little bit here. I don't know how, I mean, how many of you have ever seen this. This, of course, is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And I studied a little bit about this as I was thinking about the foundation of our faith and The the article I read said this, when construction began on the Tower of Pisa 840 years ago, workers immediately ran into soil-related foundation issues. Work stopped for nearly a century due to political unrest in Italy, but construction continued in 1272 despite the tower's famous stature. And attempts to compensate for poor soil quality failed numerous times. Today, the tower, listen to this, this is amazing. Today, the tower continues its downward descent, but at a much slower pace due to foundation repair. You see, what made the difference here is the foundation. 
The reason that life is leaning because it's because of the foundation. And I'm telling you, there are many people in our world today who have chosen not to build their life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And it is their life is doomed for destruction. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I'm thankful we have a solid foundation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Oh, my hope is built. Come on now. It's a Wednesday night, but Jesus is still good. God is still good. We can worship him on a Wednesday night. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Listen to this. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And sadly, many people have built their lives, their faith on a poor foundation of religion, a poor foundation of good works, but not so for these Hebrews, the uh, the apostle Paul or whoever was writing this book of Hebrews is writing to them to say, hey, there was a time, you remember the time, the beginning of your confidence when you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. I wonder tonight if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. You know, I think about here in the, the, the book of Hebrews, but I also think about in the book of Galatians. There's another church that had founded their lives upon the Lord Jesus Christ, but legalism began to creep into that church. And this is what the apostle Paul said in Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save, or accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, Paul is saying, hey, I didn't build my life upon circumcision. I didn't build my life upon law keeping. I I built my life on Jesus Christ. And God forbid that I should ever glory in my good works or in my good dress or in my abilities to keep the law. Paul says, I'm gonna glory in one thing and one thing only, and that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, the cross, the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7, I marvel. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ, listen to this, unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, I want to be very clear about Hebrews chapter 3. Paul's not teaching, nor am I teaching tonight, that a person can lose their salvation. But I want you to watch this now. Look at this. While a person can't lose their salvation in Christ, watch this, it is possible for a person to lose their satisfaction in Christ. Now let that resonate in your soul for a second. It's not possible to lose your salvation. I'll say more about that in just a moment. It's not possible once you have been placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, it is not possible for you ever to uh, to, to lose your salvation. But it is possible for you to lose your satisfaction in Christ. And I believe that's what Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, is warning us about here in Hebrews chapter three. And that's where we see number two, the deceitfulness of sin. We see, first of all, the beginning of their confidence, but then we see the deceitfulness of sin. And this is where, now watch this, this is where the danger really begins. Look at verse number 13, if you would, and you'll notice here in verse number 13 that the writer of Hebrews unequivocally says something to us right here, that sin is dangerous. Watch what he says in verse 13. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, why should we do that? Lest any of you, brethren, that is, you just said in verse number 12, be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
Now, what is sin? Sin can be defined as an offense. Sin can be defined as missing the mark. Uh, I'll say it like this. Sin can be defined as crossing God's boundary. Do we have any football fans in the room tonight? Well, no, not many. I, I understand we're in Panther territory. There's nothing to cheer for. I totally get it, all right? <laughs> really, any sport, I, I thought I would start with the Panthers, but that apparently was a dud. So uh, I don't know what other sport. How many, we have any Hornets fans in here tonight? No Hornets fans. All right. Uh, let's see. Do y'all have a racquetball team or something? I don't know what's going on. Now, I know what it is. How many college basketball fans we have in here tonight? There we go. There we go. And brother, for all of you who didn't know, brother Chuck down here, Chuck Campbell, he's a wonderful Tar Heel fan. So y'all, uh, uh, I'm thankful for that. Um, he's actually a Duke fan. Y'all pray for him that he'll get saved. All right. Here's the thing. Watch this. In, in order for there to be a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game, there, have to be, uh, there has to be a structured setting in which to play the game. Listen to this. There has to be rules, a rule book that declares what actions are acceptable and what actions are not acceptable. There has to be boundaries on the field that declare when the ball is in play and when the ball is out of play. And if a player violates those boundaries or one of those rules, what happens? The referee uh, blows the whistle to say something. Hey, you've missed the mark. You've crossed the boundary. Hey, using that illustration tonight, God has a standard and his standard is holiness. God has a rule book and it's called the Bible and the Bible declares God's holiness. And watch this, to sin is to live in a way which violates God's boundary of holiness. Now, the Bible says, and you can take your Bibles and flip there really quick, 1 John chapter 3, I think this verse spells it out really clearly for us tonight. 1 John chapter 3, and you can look down at verse number 4, to sin is to live in a way which God uh, violates God's boundary of holiness. Now, watch this in 1 John 3 and verse number 4. John says this, whosoever committed sin transgresseth also the law. Now watch this. For sin is the transgression of the law. And when we go back to Hebrews chapter number three, there is a warning in our text. Now watch this. There is a warning in our text that says it is very dangerous to live in violation of God's holiness. Now it's important. And the message I'm preaching tonight on a Wednesday night is a little bit more heavy than what we might normally have. But I have to tell you something. I had no intentions of preaching this message until this morning. The Lord clearly changed my direction to preach this message tonight. And so I know I'm speaking directly to somebody, whether on the live stream or here or both, uh, to sin is to live in a way which violates God's boundary of holiness. And to live in violation to God's boundary of holiness is a very dangerous thing for us to do. Now, let's keep our text in proper context. These are people who have been saved. These are people who have identified with a congregation, a called-out assembly of believers. Now, the tendency might be to warn unbelievers of the danger of sin, and we should, right? What does Romans 10, 13 say? For the wages of sin uh, is, uh, Romans 6, 23, excuse me. For the wages of sin is what? Death. 
The Bible tells us in the book of James that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth destruction. And sometimes we'll use that to say, listen, uh, if you're an unbeliever and you're living in violation of God's holiness, you need to pay attention, you need to beware, you need to take heed because it is very dangerous to live in violation of God's holiness. And we should preach the gospel to unbelievers and tell them that, listen, sin is a big deal. Sin is not just having fun or just partying or just enjoying life, but when you're living in sin, you are traveling a path to destruction. In fact, did you notice in verse number 13, the Bible says, beware of the deceitfulness of sin. The word deceitful is interesting. It literally means a delusion. I think that's a a great definition. The writer is warning concerning the delusion of sin. You know, if someone is delusional, it means that they think one thing is true when in fact the opposite is true. That person is delusional. Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And if you're here tonight and you think your sin, look, if you think your sin is not a big deal to God, friend, I'm here to tell you tonight, you're delusional with all due respect. Sin is a big deal to God. And how, how big of a deal is sin to God? Well, look at the cross. It's that big of a deal to God. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, became sin for us who knew no sin. And the wrath of God was poured out on our Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And you want to know what God thinks about sin? Go read the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus Christ enduring the suffering and the shame and the agony and the torment of the cross. And I think that'll give us a picture of what God thinks about sin. But listen to me now. This warning about sin in our text is not given, I don't believe, directly to unbelievers, but actually it's given to believers. So the writer is telling us something here that it's possible that you've accepted the free gift of salvation through Christ. Let me say it like this. You are forgiven. Your position, your standing is in Christ, and yet you're currently delusional, believing a lie about sin. And if that's you, the writer of Hebrews has something to say to you. Take heed. Beware. Why? Watch this. Because the sin that is in your life today, I'm talking to believers the sin that is in your life today is currently having a hardening effect on your heart. And that's why it's deceitful. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen, believers, I'm talking to you right now. I I mean, if unbelievers look at this, they can understand sin is is destructive. Sin leads to death. But I'm not necessarily talking to unbelievers right now. I'm talking to people who have the gift of eternal life, the ones who have been forgiven, who've been adopted into the family of God. And he says, I want to talk to you believers for just a second. Hey, brethren, take heed, lest your hearts be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, hey, it's delusional to think, watch now, it's delusional to think that you can maintain a heart for God while engaging in sin. Can I just be honest with y'all tonight? Can I preach tonight? Is that all right? I'm not going to be much longer. Can I preach tonight? It's delusional to think that you can be committing adultery and have a heart for God. It's delusional. Hey, it's delusional men and women for that matter. I read an article today that said it's now believed that women are having just as much of a hard time with pornography as men. And I'm going to tell you something. It's delusional to think that you can look at pornography and still have a heart for God. 
It's delusional to think that we can have a heart that's on fire for God while being dishonest and stealing from other people. It's delusional to think that you can be an obedient follower of Jesus. Hey, kids, I'm talking to you for a second. It's delusional to think that you can be an obedient follower of Jesus when you can't even obey your parents. Who are you to say that? Listen, that's what the Bible's saying. Hey, hey, brethren, take heed. Lest your hearts be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Look what Matthew Henry said. This is amazing. He said, now this is good, and this will help you tonight. He said, sin has so many ways and colors that we need more eyes than our own. Sin appears fair, but it's vile. It appears pleasant, but it's destructive. It promises much, but performs nothing. The deceitfulness of sin hardens the soul. Look at this. One sin allowed makes way for another. And every act of sin confirms the habit. And look what he said right here. Let everyone beware of sin. And by the way, let's be sure that we receive this message personally tonight. Husbands, don't don't be looking at your wife saying, yeah, man, this message is for you. Hey, parents, don't be looking at your kids saying, yeah, this message is for you. Hey, it's not my brother, it's not my sister. Hey, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's time for some of us to look ourselves dead in the mirror. By the way, this is the mirror right here. (laughs) Look ourselves dead in the mirror and spot that issue in our life and not just say it'll be all right. No, 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 we're gonna deal with it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and God is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hey, can I ask you a question? Watch me now. Look at me. When's the last time, can I just be honest with y'all tonight? Can I just preach real tonight? When's the last time you confessed a sin to God? Let's let that question marinate in our heart for a second. When was the last time you went to God and said, God, I was wrong for doing that? You say, man, pastor, it's been, Zach, it's been days, it's been weeks. Hey, I'm gonna tell you something. You know what chances are? Your heart's being hardened by sin. I've used this illustration before. When I first started playing the guitar, I'll never forget that. Brother Donnie, where's Brother Donnie at? Brother Donnie Gilly. Man, he taught me G, C, and D on the guitar, and I went home that night, and I got me a J Jr. from, uh, I think it was called Tunes in Statesville in, the, uh, in Signal Hill Mall down there. I got me a $100 guitar, and man, I started playing that G, C, D, G, C, D, and then D, C, G, and I was playing those, those chords over and over and over again, and man, my, my skin on the tips of my fingers was so sensitive uh, that it was my fingers were getting red, and I played so much over those first few days that I, I could hardly play the guitar because my skin, my fingers were so sensitive to playing the, 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 the guitar. And you know what happened though? Little by little by little, I formed something on the tips of my fingers. And you guitar players know what I'm talking about. I formed some calluses on the tips of my fingers. And you know what? Now I can play for hours and hours and hours and never really feel it that much. And you know what? That's a good illustration of sin. When you first start sinning, man, you feel the Holy Spirit saying, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be looking at that. You shouldn't be going there. You shouldn't be uh, doing those types of things. But you know what we do? We resist and we resist and we resist. And I'm telling you what the writer of Hebrews is saying is warning. There's danger ahead. Now I can almost guarantee that your heart has been hardened by sin. Uh, if you have not confessed your sin recently, listen, when your heart is hard, you can't receive the word of God. That's why many people can't focus during the preaching. Because their hearts have been hardened by sin. That's why many people, hey, listen, I, I'm, I'm gonna preach what the Lord told me to preach tonight. That's why a lot of people can't read their Bible for more than about two minutes. You know why? Because their hearts are hardened. 
by sin. Look what Warren Wearsby said. He said, the hardened heart is a heart that is insensitive to the word and work of God. So hard was the heart of Israel that the people even wanted to return to Egypt. Look what he says right here. Imagine wanting to exchange their freedom under God for slavery in Egypt. And you know what? That's where a lot of Christians are today. But you know, the good news is that God's word, the Bible says in Jeremiah 23, 9, he said this, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like, look, like a hammer that breaketh the rocks in pieces. Listen, don't just confess your sin and then go right back to live in the same way. Solomon warned his son concerning the enticement of sin in Proverbs 4, 14. He said, enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not into the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. Harold Wilmington, who wrote Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. I just want to share some of these quotes. I hope they'll help you tonight. He said, the Bible teaches that our, this is an amazing quote, watch this. The Bible teaches that our union with Christ is so strong that nothing can break it. How many are thankful for that, amen? amen. Our union with Christ is so strong that nothing can break it, but our communion with him is so fragile that the slightest sin shatters it. Thank God Hey, once a child, always a child, amen? I'm thankful God never kicks anybody out of the family. God never looks at you and says, you messed up one too many times, you had 10 chances, and you sinned 11 times, and so you're out of the family. I'm giving up on you. Thank God for a, a God who never gives up, who never, uh, who never kicks us out of the family. But look at me. Our, our relationship with God is one thing. Our fellowship with God, our communion with God is another thing. And so maybe you're here and you're still not convinced that your sin or the violation of God's holiness is really all that big of a deal. Well, the writer of Hebrews wants you to understand the next step on the path of sin is this. Look at this, the heart of unbelief. Look at verse number 12. And, and walk with me. I'm going to go quickly, but watch this. He says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Now, so wait a second. I want to pause right there and just ask a couple questions. Is this the same person who went from having confidence in the person and works of Jesus Christ to now he says you have an evil heart of unbelief? I believe it is. Does this mean that a person can lose their salvation? Thank God it does not mean that. When we rightly divide the word, we understand, listen, that believers have something called everlasting life, life that once it begins, it never ends. Hey, if you got saved and God gave you life and then you lose life, that's not everlasting life. That's pretty simple, isn't it? The Bible tells us that on the day we uh, were saved, we are placed into the body of Christ and we are, watch this, kept by the power of God. The Bible says we are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Bible says that every believer has the down payment of the inheritance of, the, of God through the Holy Spirit. So all that's important. That's, that's a good foundation. But all that being true, there's a massive warning given to us in the text that you, as a believer, can begin to experience an evil heart of unbelief. Now, let's try to unpack that for a second. To create a clear contrast, I'm gonna share a quote with you from Dr. Tony Evans. This is what he said. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Now, let that one resonate for just a second. It's like this, all right? On the day that you were saved, you acted like God was telling the truth. This is what I mean by that. You believe from your heart what the Bible says, what God says about your sinful condition. 
You believe that the Bible told you that you were separated from God. You believe what the Bible told you about your eternal situation, that you were on a road that leads to hell. And you believed what God said about the gift of salvation. And thank God, salvation is the miracle of a moment. It doesn't happen progressively. Salvation happens immediately. But discipleship is the process of a lifetime. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. And so every day as a believer, what do we do? We come to the word of God and the word of God tells us how we ought to live. It tells us what we ought to say. It tells us where we ought to go and what we ought to do. And as a believer, we look at the word of God and we say, this is God's word and this is what God has said. And therefore, that's what I'm gonna do by faith. But watch this. Let's rephrase that statement. Unbelief is acting like God is not telling the truth. And sadly, you know what? There are many Christians who are living right there today. When you first got saved, you were sensitive to the word of God. When you first got saved, you were sensitive to the work of God through the Holy Spirit. When you first got saved, you were plugged in to the community of the local church. You're reading your Bible. You're confessing your sins. You're acting like God is telling the truth. But somewhere along the way in your journey, sin crept in and our belief changed and then our behavior changes. You know why? Because belief determines behavior. Are you still a believer? Sure. But you're acting like an unbeliever. Wearsby said this, Believers who doubt God's word and rebel against him do not miss heaven, but they do miss out on the blessings of their inheritance today, and they must suffer the chastening of God. And friends, that's where we see number four, the departure from God. The departure from God. Look what he says in verse number 12, because this is amazing. I mean, we're seeing a progression here that's kind of startling. Hey, take heed, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. And then what happens? In departing from the living God. Now this departing is to begin, what I believe he's talking about here, it means to begin living with no indication that you are or ever were a believer. Now sometimes I'll say this, and in fact, I want you to take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter two. Let's do a quick Bible study on Wednesday night. Give me a couple more minutes and we'll be done. 1 John chapter number two. So sometimes, sometimes people do this because they never were truly saved. I want you to look at verse John chapter number two and look at verse number 19. Sometimes people who once were acting saved now are not acting saved because they never were truly saved. First John 2, 19, the Bible says, John says, they went out from us. Why? But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us but they went out that they may be manifest that they were not all of us. So the truth is sometimes somebody who used to act like they were saved, I mean, maybe they came to church for a while and man, they, they sang and they enjoyed the music and they raised their hand in praise and worship to God and they attended Sunday school and they came on Wednesday night and they acted saved, but eventually they, they departed. That's because they never were truly saved. In his commentary, Finnis Dake, offered what he referred to as the seven stages of apostasy. I want to show it to you very quickly if I can. I think this is something we need to notice. These are the seven stages of apostasy. Number one, refusal to hear God. Uh, refusal to hear God. Number two, hardness of heart through refusal to hear and obey God. Number three, 
unbelief, a consequence of hardening the heart against God. Number four, departure from the living God. Number five, open rebellion against God to provoke and tempt him. Number six, habitual sinning, careless living, and flagrant violation of God's law. And number seven, apostasy. Now, I wanna say something about this this, um, list. Here's what I believe. Before a true believer, a, a child of God ever reaches that last stage, apostasy, which we might define as a total rejection of the Christian faith, here's what I believe God will do. Watch this. First, God will offer conviction. How many thankful for a God who's willing to convict us? Thank God that I'm telling you, there's been times in my life when my kids begin to play with a light socket or something I know might hurt them. You know what I do? I have to raise my voice at them or I might take their hand and pop their hand and say, you're not going to do that. You know why I'm doing that? I, I may you, uh, just speak to them at first and say, hey, don't do that. They continue on down that path. I may have to pop their hand and, and correct them. Why? Not because I hate them, because I love them. Aren't you thankful for a God who loves us enough to convict us? Hey, not only will he convict us, he'll discipline us, which is another opportunity for us to confess that we were wrong and repent. And then, should the believer continue to harden their hearts? Listen to me, God, I believe. Take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter five. I think you're right there close by. Look at 1 John chapter five. I believe if they resist God's conviction and resist God's discipline, listen to me, I believe it's entirely possible that God can and will prematurely end a believer's life. This is something often referred to as the sin unto death. 1 John 5, verse number 16. If any man see his brother's sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him uh, life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not unto death. I believe what he's saying right here is, listen, when you see one of your brothers living in sin, the loving thing to do is go talk to them and say, listen, you don't need to keep living like that. You can't keep doing those things. Those are clearly in violation to God's boundaries. Man, get your heart right. Get get back into God's word. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. I mean, come on, get back on track. Because there's coming a day if they continue to resist and to resist and to resist and they refuse to repent, there could come a day when God decides to take that believer's life prematurely. Look what Harold Wilmington said. The sin unto death is persistent, willful sinning in a believer in which the flesh is destroyed, which is physical death, so that the spirit might be saved. And we don't have time but you can write this down in your margin, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. You may remember in this story, in 1 Corinthians 5, there is a believer in the church that is committing fornication. This is sexual sin. And the apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, listen, uh, rather than being a mourning and being devastated over the fact that there's a brother in the church that has sin in his life and it's open sin and it's obvious sin and nobody's going to him and saying, hey man, this ain't right, you gotta get this right. He says, you're puffed up. You're not mourning over this. And this is what he says. I'm gonna tell you what you need to do. You need to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 5, verses one through five. 
And coming back to our text here in Hebrews, God wants us to wrestle with our condition today. Hey, I want to challenge you on a Wednesday night. I know this is a little different for a Wednesday night, but listen, as sure as I'm standing here, the Lord changed my heart tonight to speak to somebody who might be traveling down this path. I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm not saying that there's never been a day in your life when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But what I am saying is it's possible that you've allowed sin into your life and that sin is having a hardening effect on your heart and you're beginning to experience a heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. I have a question for you, church. Where are you today? Better yet, where is your heart today? That's the most important question, by the way. Where's your heart? You say, but, but Zach, I'm here. I didn't ask you where you are. I said, where's your heart? Because it's entirely possible. Come in close right here and I'm just about done. It's entirely possible that you're here and your heart's a million miles from here. You remember in Acts chapter seven, you can write that down in your margin, the deacon Stephen is preaching about the Israelites. Who were the Israelites? They were the ones who had been delivered from Egyptian bondage, right? But the Bible says that in the wilderness, their hearts began to harden. And this is what Stephen said in Acts seven, verse 38 and nine, he says, they received the lively oracles to give to us to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust them from them, look at this, and in their hearts turned back again to Egypt. Question, were they in Egypt? No, but their hearts were in Egypt. Oliver B. Green said this, you gotta see this, we're almost done. He said, Paul here warns them lest after knowing the way of grace and salvation, they should turn their backs upon the manifold mercies of God and follow in the footsteps of their fathers who cried out for the leeks and garlics of Egypt rather than the manna God provided for them. This would be tragic beyond words. Someone might be here this evening and your response to this message is, that would never be me. Can I give you a verse? I think I put it up there. I didn't do it. First Corinthians, you can write it down. First Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. If you remember, I said earlier in this message that this is a passage of warning, but there were two parts I said to this passage, warning and exhortation. Warning is, if you will, the negative part of it. It's, it's, a, it's a declaration. Hey, there's a negative uh, here. There's a, a negative aspect of sin. But also in this passage, I see a very clear pattern for how to stay close to God. And I'm going to give you this in about two minutes. So watch this. Number one, pay attention. How do we stay close to God? The title of the message, The Danger of Departing. How can I keep from becoming one of those people that departs from the living God in the sense that I begin living a life that does not resemble the life of the Christian? I begin to live my life in sin. How can I avoid that? Number one, pay attention. Remember what he said in verse number 12? Take heed, brethren. Can I tell you this this evening? Regularly assess your spiritual condition. Did you hear what I just said? Regularly assess your spiritual condition. Never make assumptions that you're doing okay. You know what you need to do? Daily ask the Lord, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me, Lord. Proverbs 4.23 says this, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. I don't know, how, I don't know about y'all, but I am the world's worst about blind spots. And what I mean is this, we're driving down the road, Brother Horn, 
And man, I'm just minding my own business. And I, I, I check into my mirror and I start to make that turn into the right lane. And this is what happens. Stop! I have my wife back there. Thank God for my wife, who is my, uh, my backseat driver, my seat to the side driver, right? She saw something. She saw something in my life that I didn't see. You know what? We need to pay attention because it very, it very well may, may be that you have some blind spots in your life tonight. Like you checked your mirror. As far as you can tell, man, everything's good. But man, you know what we need to do? We need to pay attention. And how can we do that? Well, number two, stay connected. Look what he says in the text, verse number 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. That word there in the text, exhort, is the the Greek word parakleo, and it's the exact same word used uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter four that tells us to comfort one another. It refers to the believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who is first, listen, who is first, let me say it again, who is first assessing their own life, but is also careful to assess the lives of those in their community of faith. The Bible says in James 5, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Hey, I want to ask you something. Come in close right here now. Are you connected enough to your church family where if somebody came up to you and confronted you about an issue in your life that you wouldn't get all bent out of shape about it? Like you knew that this person loves me enough to come up and say something to me about what, I, what I'm doing, knowing that I'm living in disobedience to the Lord and therefore I'm not gonna get bent out of shape and tore up and out of the way with this person, but I'm gonna recognize this is my brother. They love me and they see something in my life. Hey, by the way, if we don't have that kind of a church culture, we need to start that kind of a, kind of a church culture where we love each other enough to look at each other. And by the way, like I said, start with your own life. Uh, before you deal with that other person, start with your own heart. Make sure your own heart is right and that your life is right. But if you see somebody doing something, that you could go to them and not preach a message to them necessarily, beat them over the head with the Bible, but put your arm around them and say, man, I know this is going on in your life and I love you enough to try to convert you from the error of your way. How can we stay close to the Lord? Pay attention, stay connected. Here's the last thing. Let me give you this quote and I'll be done. Look at this from John Bunyan. He said, saints fellowship, if it be managed well, keeps them awake and that in spite of hell. Christians who isolate themselves and walk alone are very liable to grow drowsy. Keep Christian company and you will be kept wakeful by it and refreshed and encouraged to make quicker progress on the road to heaven. Last thing, keep listening. And the overarching emphasis of Hebrews chapter number three is to hear God's voice. We see it in verse number 15. Hear his voice. Verse, uh, go back, or go to chapter four, verse number seven. Today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Somebody said this, if you want to hear God's voice, read God's word out loud. We believe in the sufficiency of scripture. We don't believe in a Christian mysticism which promotes a belief that God speaks primarily through signs and dreams. Church family, listen to me. God speaks through his word, the Bible. It's not a question, listen to me, I'm done right here. It's not a question of is God speaking, it's a question of are we listening. 
Man, this is a heavy message for a Wednesday night, but I'm telling you, I wouldn't have preached this message, Brother Rodney, if I didn't know God wanted me to preach it. I'm absolutely sure in my heart God wanted me to preach this message tonight. And I wanna say to you, brothers and sisters in here tonight, take heed. Take heed, lest the deceitfulness of sin begin to affect your heart. And your heart is hardened and you depart from the living God. I close with this. Notice what it says in the text. Exhort one another daily while it is called today. Verse 15, he says, while it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. He says, listen, I don't want you to wait till tomorrow to do it. I don't want you to wait until next week to do it. I want you to do it today. Like at 8.33 on this Wednesday night that you know that God sent me by here to preach this message tonight. You know that there's sin in your life. You know that you've been doing some things, looking at some things, acting in some ways, going some places that God's not pleased with. You're living in direct violation of the command of God and your heart is currently being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God in his mercy sent me by here on this Wednesday night to challenge you. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you a hardened heart of unbelief and departing from the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray tonight. Hey, this, this altar is open. They're gonna begin playing the piano and there's people already moving. Why don't we have more people right now? Go ahead and make your way to this altar right now. Don't wait. Like right now at this very moment, let's go ahead and start making a move down to this altar and saying, Lord, search my heart. God, it's very possible that I've got some blind spots in my life. Hey, some of you might have some blind spots in your life right now. And God, in his grace, by the Holy Spirit, was challenging you about that sin in your life that maybe only you know about. But friend, that sin is having a hardening effect on your heart tonight. Why don't you come right now to this altar and confess that sin to God? You know what it means to confess your sin? Listen to this. There's people moving. Come on, whenever the Lord speaks to your heart, if he's already spoken to your heart, come on down to this altar and pray. This altar's open right now. You know what it means to confess your sin? It means to agree with God. Maybe for too long, you've been trying to justify your sin. You've been trying to just make it okay. Well, I'm only doing it because, no, listen, hey, why don't you agree with God tonight and say, you know what, God, this is what I've been doing. You know it, but I'm confessing it right now. I've been living in direct disobedience to your word tonight. And God, I wanna thank you. Come on now, church. I wanna thank you for your word. That's like a hammer that breaks through the hardness of my heart. Hey, I'm gonna tell you something. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he also fall. Hey, if you're here tonight and you say, Zach, I want to stay close to the Lord. In fact, why don't we just take a second right here. If you're here tonight and you say, Zach, I know I'm not perfect, man. I struggle from time to time. But Zach, I'll say this by raising my hand. I want to stay close to the Lord. Would you raise your hand tonight? That's good. Almost every hand in the uh, every hand in the house is raised. You can put your hand down. Hey, I'm gonna tell you what to do. You better pay attention. You know what Peter said? Hey, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
You better pay attention. Take heed, brethren. You better stay connected. You know what we ought to have tonight in this church? I know it's a Wednesday night, but hey, God can send a revival on a Wednesday night. We ought to have some people who run to this altar tonight and say, you know what, I'm going to make a decision to stay connected. One of the ways I can pay attention is by surrounding myself with other people who want to stay close to the Lord and who would be willing to help me in my journey staying close to the Lord. You know, I think the Apostle Paul was pretty glad that he had Silas by his side in the Philippian jail at midnight. I've often wondered about that. Where, what would have happened in Paul's life if he didn't have Silas by his side? I wonder what would happen to Silas if he didn't have Paul by his side? Hey, I'm gonna tell you something. You need this church. You wanna continue steadfast to the end? Hey, you better stay connected. You know what some of you need to make a decision to do? Join a Sunday school group this Sunday. I'm gonna get connected. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Pay attention. I'm going to get connected and I'm going to keep listening. Hey, the word of God is our guide. Let's all stand together at this time. People are doing business with the Lord in the altar. We want you to come and mind the Lord tonight. We're going to be dismissed in just a moment, but let's let the Lord do his work tonight. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, friend, we invite you to come this evening. We got people up here who would love to talk to you. And you can know Jesus and have a relationship with him. So whatever the Lord's put on your heart, I'm gonna say a prayer one more time. And when I say amen, I wanna invite you to come to this altar and do business tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that's convicted us tonight. And we pray right now that you would do a lasting work of grace in our heart and life by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you